0: All right, what is going on, guys? It is time for another episode of the Chasing Waypoints podcast. Whew, man, it has been a whirlwind. We have got a bunch of episodes coming up. Hey, wait a minute. Is this the first episode that we're going to mention this? Have you guys signed up for the newsletter? I'm going to be doing a newsletter because I am and we are. And thanks to Lizzy, Lizzy's at, at fault for this. We've got a huge list of guests coming up, and I am looking forward to sharing all that information. I'd love to get them out in front of you guys, get some questions, some things that you may want to know from some of these future guests. And then we can move on from there. So if you haven't already, head on over to the Chasing Waypoints podcast or Chasing Waypoints website. This is the Chasing Waypoints podcast. It has been a long day. Head on over to the Chasing Waypoints website, ChasingWaypoints.com. And scroll on down, you'll see the newsletter sign up there. So get in on that one. But that is enough about that. We are gathered here today to talk a little bit about rally. And this one, I think we're actually going to do something a little unique. I think we're going to do our first ever midweek update. we got a lot of racing going on. we got to catch up with Mason Klein. Mason Klein just showed everybody the fast way around Sirto's rally. And today... We're going to be talking to none other than Mr. Happy Dave. Talk a little bit about uh, his adventures down at Desafio Ruta 40. Just getting wrapped up. So I'm excited to hear a little bit about how that event went for him. What that was all about. Let me get him queued up on the phone. So how's everybody been? Are we riding road books? Are we out riding? It's, it's getting riding season. It is. 70s here in California looks like it's going to be the rest of that for the week I'm working on the age old what to go with do we go with the moose the heavy-duty tube do we go nitro moose do we go Michelin do we go Pirelli golden tire a lot of options out there just trying to figure out which is the uh which is the one to go with so I don't know what do you guys think hit me up DMs on Instagram or if you're on Spotify, you can reply right to this podcast, which is actually pretty cool. So anyway, with that being said, let's place a call to Mr. Happy Dave. I hear he's on the road. Turn down the party a little bit so it doesn't blow his eardrums off. an interesting week man oh oh coming to you my friend (laughs) coming to you live from the middle of the road what's going on sir how are you I'm good Victor how are you my man I I am doing good man it is uh it is the middle I think it's the middle of the week I don't even remember anymore this adult thing (laughs) how are you (laughs) all all as well fresh off Um, a plane
1: uh, all, all is well, man. All is well. Yes, I'm. I'm just looking at the desert. It looks just like it did six thousand miles from here.
0: <laughs> it's funny how that happens.
1: Yes, it is.
0: <laughs> okay, so Desafío Ruta. I, I didn't. Uh, I'm, I'm offended. I didn't even know you were going. But then again, that is my fault because I don't keep up with you guys enough. So, how, uh, how did this come about?
1: Well, I, uh, for me, it was pretty simple. Um, the way I kind of have my stuff set up is my agreement and commitment to my family is I get one big party pass a year, so I just kind of choose what it's going to be. And in the last few years, I've chosen rallies. Um, and then when I kind of looked at last year's or this year's schedule, I went, well, I've been to Sonora. Uh, Morocco and Abu Dhabi are just straight desert and dunes. Mm. And then I looked up the makeup of East of Ruta, and I went, you know what? It looks like that may cover a wide variety of terrain, um, high elevation, low elevation, dunes, uh, all, all kinds of stuff. And I went, I've never been to South America, so let's go there. And that's literally how it came about. Uh, and I am thrilled that I chose that round.
0: Nice And so that's that's interesting. So it wasn't any one particular terrain. it was a good mixture of everything.
1: Yeah I mean it, it was it was definitely more on the desert side of things mm-hmm. but at the same time there was a lot of ancient riverbeds and there was some elevation involved that you could really get a different taste like at some some points I thought I was in Moab some points, I thought I was in St. George, then Barstow, and then other part, there was one section I thought I was in Colorado, Um, so it did really span a really awesome variety.
0: Very nice. Very nice. And so, uh, tell me, you know, uh, it looks, you were down there with the the Med racing team, correct?
1: Yes. So, a great team that was uh, referred to me from Montana Mike, Mm -hmm. um, he actually did a big uh, South America has their own rally series Mm -hmm. and I believe he did one last year and he actually was with another team but when he came home he said hey if I go back I will probably uh, go with another team as well because I really liked what I saw when he saw how they did their operation and uh, I got in touch with Sergio and his uh, wonderful daughter Martina who helped translate for us and MED med stands for Mission to to Dakar, and uh, they supported Dakar when Dakar was in South America, and they're just a, they're a fully fledged, fully resourced team. So, from multiple mechanics, a great team owner, uh, a physio, massage therapist, um, and I mean they had it all. They had a team sports manager, ten time Dakar finisher, Laurent Lazard. Mm-hmm. So, it was a full on operation and uh, I'm very very thankful I made the right choice yeah
0: yeah i did uh that w- that was actually pretty cool because i'm i'm watching uh I'm watching lauren we recently just had him on the show I did an interview with him uh who ends up being a family friend of our neighbors, and you know we're we're talking and then so I'm following him along on his social media i'm seeing the posts and you know route the forty, and then all of a sudden it's like, wait, happy dave is wait he's going there what. And then all of a sudden you guys are in the same post. I'm like, what? (laughs) So, so that was pretty cool to see. And yeah, I, you know, Lawrence got stories. Did you guys get a chance to talk a little bit about his Dakar history and that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, (laughs) yeah, we did. And, and it's, it's, I mean, he's just, it's just incredible. I mean, he's a 12 time participant, 10 time finisher Mm -hmm. and finished 10th one year. Like it's just, I, I'm sorry. I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to comprehend that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You think about it, like, you know, you mentioned you, you go and do it once and it's like, okay, yeah, I'm never doing this again and then two and then three and then four. And then at, at one point it just like, it's like driving to the seven 11 or, you know, the local, the local convenience store, you know, it's just familiar to you, which is absolutely crazy. But that was really cool to have somebody like that on the team. I imagine it you know, help support you. Yeah, guys. man.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I got to thank you too, because he showed me the message that you sent him that said something to the effect of, Hey, take care of happy days. Yes. Good people. (laughs) So thank you
0: for that. (laughs) Of course. Of course. So, okay. All right. Meat and bones. Let's, let's talk about this rally Uh, stages. What were the, you know, stage one, three or the long days, short days. What was the, uh, what tell us,
1: you you know, right out of it, it was for, from my from my personal experience it was the lo- the challenge was it was the longest days on the biggest bike and being in a country that nobody speaks your language like those were huge so right out of the gate we did 700 kilometers um, they were not bashful right from the very beginning uh, day two wasn't much shorter I don't remember the exact distance uh, day three was, also healthy, right around 500 kilometers. Uh, day four was Fiambala, the iconic dunes, the shortest distance, but the hardest day. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, and then day five, I'd have to look, but day five was another 600 kilometers. And man, like I've, I've heard pros say it before, mm-hmm. that transfers slash liaisons are one of the most challenging parts. You know, and it doesn't get any airtime because it's not race time and all that stuff. Man, I got to tell you, those are the those are by far the most stressful part of the day. Really? Like, like we're on the bike way before way before daylight. Mm-hmm. Um, we were freezing down there. I'm so thankful it didn't rain because I was unprepared for cold weather. But I mean, it was I don't know what they call it Celsius zero, but it was 30 degrees, 35 degrees. And then you're clipping at 110, you know, 105, 106 kilometers, and it's cold. Um, so the transfer sections were no walk in the park. And what made them even more challenging is there's a time limit on them. So, yeah, you're not on the race clock, but you do incur a penalty if you don't meet the time limit. And they didn't give you a whole lot of extra time. Like if somebody had a blown moose or you had a slight mechanical, or you needed to stop go to the bathroom. If you needed to stop and get gas, and there were a bunch of, uh, you know, T classes or four wheel vehicles there, mm-hmm. like you were. Like one night, I came in two minutes before my limit time, yeah. and I think another day, I think another day I actually came in over the limit time. But I got a, but I got an exception because when the four wheel trucks or when the four wheel cars are filling up fuel, they take forever. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the stages were, my gosh, man. Like I just mentioned the areas, but think rural Nevada, a lot of the high desert in California, Moab, St. George. Think of all of that stuff on steroids by three. Oh, wow. Like, like river, river rocks that I couldn't pick up with two hands. Um, uh, washouts that were 30 foot cliffs, Mm -hmm. um, dunes that, you know, Dumont, you can scream any, any dune in Dumont in fourth gear, uh, Glamis, Oldsmobile here, gear major Hill, maybe fifth gear, St. Anthony's up in Idaho, fifth gear, nah, Fiamboa is more like you better pin it in fifth gear. And when you click down to four, it starts doing switchbacks. Oof. Um, I think I cycled my motor four times. And what I mean by that was, is when my motor got hot, my clutch, I lost my clutch. And I think I cycled that four different times while I was in the Fiambala Dunes. Oof. Yeah, it it was, uh, I'm so thankful the bike held together. And I'm so thankful physically my training paid off because I actually felt the best physically. And, um, you know, thrilled that when you're pushing the limits of the mechanics and the bike and it holds together because there were so many times, I don't I lost count. There were so many times that it wasn't a matter of can I make this do or can I make this line or um, pin it. And hope for the best. Yeah. And and literally, Victor, I'm I'm I cleaned up the pack. Like I'm I'm I've, I ended up finishing last in the Rally Two class. And to think that I was at my limits almost all rally long, competing with the best in the world. It was amazing. Um, it was amazing the bike held together, and I'm so thankful that I my approach was preservation of the machine earlier in the
0: week yeah it's not it that's crazy and I and you know and I, I do want to you mentioned it and I want to touch this because a lot of people I think that that listen to the show I you know obviously we got a lot of motorcycle riders around the world and a lot of these guys know but there are people that don't necessarily know Wind chill. And this has been a subject that's come up with uh, Mason and and guys at Dakar, yourself right now, and and pretty much anybody that starts these liaisons at at sunrise. You know, basically, Uh, you mentioned earlier um, zero degrees Celsius. So it's about 32 degrees Fahrenheit, if I remember correctly. Uh, At 60, between 60 and 65 miles an hour, that's going to feel like 10 degrees. So for those of you in parts of the country that have experienced 10 degrees firsthand, you know exactly what we're talking about for us here in California and, well, Nevada. Well, you get down in Nevada, no? You guys get – you can get pretty chilly in there in some of those areas, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, but, but yeah, relative to what you're saying, it's cold.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you want you want to slow down, but now you got a clock competing you <laughs> saying no, no. <laughs> oh, man, that is, that is crazy. Okay, so of those stages – Um, you know, thinking about it now, you know, in a little bit warmer weather, uh, if you could rerun one of those stages, which one
1: loaded question, all five, man,
2: (laughs) not Um, making it easy.
1: (laughs) Uh, so, so stage one, um, a riverbed 200 meters wide and Pick your line, because I mean, there was just, there was some moisture there, uh, not too long before we got there. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you, you, you were dri- two wheel drifting most of the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, and the, and the terrain was grippy enough that you could enjoy it. And the, and the, and the, and the sheer walls of the, the rain erosion were so spectacular. I would do that again. Um, yeah, of course, Fiambala. The, they, they ran us, it, it was an interesting layout of how they ran us. So they ran us from the valley floor up into the dunes. Then they ran us back down the dunes. Then they ran us back up, back down, back up, back down. And, and we what we did is we traversed I from what I think it was about, oh, about 60 kilometers from start to finish going south. But okay. we ran about, but we ran a little over 100 kilometers of dune terrain. Um, that was just epic because it went from massive peak dunes to rolling knolls dunes with some vegetation. And then it and then it also mixed in some sand tracks where you could just close your eyes, put your front tire in the rut, and hold on. Wow. So, um, oh, and then the... And then to finish on Friday, day five, the very end of the special um, packed, hard packed road, easy hundred and between 110 and 130 kilometers. um, A lot like a Moab S type rock formations with these pinnacles and just just a track that was 30, 30 meters wide. And I think we were in a national park, mm-hmm. uh, and it was just, oh my gosh! Like I, oh my gosh! Like, I'm my body had nothing left, and I was I was leaning so far forward over the windscreen, standing up to just let my weight balance against the wind resistance. But I had to because it was too fun not to go as fast as I possibly could.
0: Oh man, I, it's one of those. It's that thin balance between uh, that survival mode, you know, where you kind of want to lay back a little bit because you know you got a long way to go, but at the same time, you just—if I'm going to leave everything, it's going to be right here. <laughs> I feel like that's how it, I, I feel like that's how that balance is. Like if I, if I have to stop and take a ten-minute break at the end of this stage and take a penalty, I will do so. But I'm having way too much fun right now to <laughs> to switch down the gear
1: yeah 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 man i yeah you get you get into that tricky headspace where am i doing the most responsible thing and sometimes the inner kid pops out and goes i don't really care <laughs> <laughs> we <Whee! laughs>
0: so that but that does bring up an interesting question so i'm i'm used to seeing you on the trusty honda that's normally your what I would refer to more as a rally light bike, right? So you've got the, I believe it's the Sonora Tower on your on the Honda. Or what?
1: Uh, yeah, no, it was, a, it was actually a custom tower okay. made by Jamie Campbell and Skylar House ah, and yes. Garrett Boucher.
0: Yes, and, yes, and uh,
1: it, it's it's intense. It's perfect.
0: Nice. Okay, so Honda versus RFR. Rally light, I would still consider that bike. You know, your normal Honda, the the Rally light bike versus the you know the Rally factory replica bike. What is that like? I mean, is it like you just stepped onto an adventure bike and oh my god, this thing's a huge pig and it's just hard to handle? You know, did you would you have rather have had your Honda? Would you know how does that?
1: I my man, I my man. I so Dave Pearson and Mohart were awesome enough that they let me get. A few kilometers on their RFRs out at SoCal Rally. Okay. So I had about 10 or 20 Ks on big bikes, but I've never ridden them, never got used to them, never raised them. I was fortunate enough to ride a 2017 RFR, K- KTM 450 RFR. Mm-hmm. It was an absolute monster. Um, I-, I wouldn't say it's an adventure bike, Um. Some of the specs, I could be specifically wrong, but what I understand from it is <clears throat> from an Enduro light bike, it's about six inches longer. Mm-hmm. Dual, fuel capacity is a little over 30 liter, which I believe translates to about eight gallons with a front and rear tank. Mm-hmm. The, mo- the motor absolutely revs to the moon. Um, I held one time all week, I held it at the throttle stop across a dry lake bed at 152 kilometers an hour um, and that was the only time it always wanted more from me um, the faster you rode the bike the more buttery and sweet it got uh, I want a rally bike I'm going to get a rally bike I don't care what it takes I'm going to have one it's, they, they're a tremendous machine and then how durable they are I, like, they're amazing. They are engineered amazing, um, and remarkably so, planted, there's so much low center of gravity mm-hmm. that rock, rock beds, sand washes, laying it over in the dunes, it, it was so planted that, I, like, I had all the confidence in the world, and, and, and actually, I had more confidence in a rally bike than I do. Than I do my Honda, just because the center mass is lower. Okay. And once you get used to, you know, turning right to go left. Once you get used to letting Mac do its dance a little bit under control, it, it turns into a it turns into a Corvette Duramax. Mm. Um, it, it's it's just magic. I don't know how else to explain it. Yeah. It's, it's just it's just
0: magic. Yeah. And that, you know, that's an interesting uh, what you mentioned is how the back end will step out and slide um, a little bit more. There was a conversation that I had at the Kirk Caselli Foundation uh, fundraiser that they had a, a few weeks back. And that was a very specific characteristic of the ladder frame bike that was mentioned is that its ability to kind of step out and just be very predictable and kind of controllable in that versus the newest generation of bikes where they tend to be a little bit more on edge but I guess easier to turn in some aspects.
1: Yeah, you know, and of. I talked Yeah, I talked to some of the guys too and 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 there are some guys mm-hmm. that prefer the some of the older models because of what you had just mentioned.
0: Yeah. They're just a little and, bit smoother on that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And when you're, and when you, when you get comfortable and knowing where it's going to go, that is, that, that's a really cool feeling. I didn't really get there till about day four, mm-hmm. but but once I did um, for me, it was a difference between dragging the back brake and pumping it. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I was on hard surfaces, I would tap it to break it loose, let it go. And then drag, and then so so I would I would tap it to break traction. It would start sliding. Then I drag. So I would sit the back end down. It would compress, and then I would lay on the throttle and have good traction. Where if it was if it wasn't hard pack, I wouldn't pump at all. I would just lightly hit it and drag it, and then let and then release, mm-hmm. just so I could correct. Just so I could correct where I wanted to be. Um, but but yeah, but I also hear that the newer models are so fast and so nimble and so predictable as well that um, I think the newer models, the pros, I think they play more with their fuel placement. Um, I don't know if they run the run the tanks as low or you know cuz you know you'll hear a lot of guys say run the rear tanks out first. But mm-hmm. well, that was not the instru- that was not the instruction that I got. Yeah. Um, and I like the instruction I got. Lauren was like, nah, run about a hundred kilometers off the rear and then run about a hundred kilometers off the front and then go back to the rear and just kind of, you know, seesaw your fuel level, you know, as you go. Mm-hmm. And I found that to be, uh, I found that to be really, a really, really good approach.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. So that, I mean, that to me tells me that you've got a bike that's really balanced front to rear. Uh, with that weight down low like that and then you know go you know that back and forth level so you're just trying to get the fuel down to the lowest part you know it sounds like it's a well balanced bike but it only gets even better as the fuel level kind of decreases evenly and gets down to its lowest point yeah man i
1: like i i liken it i liken it i liken it to like a set of elephant nuts like (laughs) when you look at it When you look at an RFR, Mm -hmm. it it looks like it's, it looks like it's got a Goodyear tire on the bottom of the bike. It's fat. Mm -hmm. But now I appreciate it. I appreciate the engineering because when you do run the fuel out of the front tanks, you drop it from up high above the trestle. You drop it to the middle of the height of the motor very quickly because they're actually pretty, the tanks are actually pretty thin up top. Mm-hmm. And then they get wide down low,
0: down at the bottom. Yeah. Yep. Nice. I mean, it's it's great. I mean, you you think that bike? How well thought out that bike is. I mean, it's still the bike. You know, if you wanted, you could you could score a twenty twenty four if you could are lucky enough to get one of the eighty that are made. Um. For this year, you know, I I, I remember there was a what was I think it was a few months ago that there was an accidental. Uh, oopsie that was I, I think it was ktm marketing trying to figure out how big the market would be for those bikes here in the us but i guess that they had accidentally released the order forms to the us dealers for the rfrs <laughs> and i think they were greeted with many orders they instantly knew they weren't going to be able to fill because it's not you know approved for for importation to the states but i you know those i think those bikes are phenomenal as far as the engineering goes and everything so much so that they're still selling the current version i you know obviously they're not going to give away the factory you know the the newest mx frames type you know bike yet it'll be probably a few years before that ever happens but it's you know it's nice to see that yeah even these older bikes is still just kind of like old trusty
1: um, yeah if you if you if you if you said dave would you buy a seventeen or eighteen with low hours or or low miles? I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even doubt. I wouldn't even hesitate.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's and they're unicorn bikes, man. They they go for some penny. They 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 do uh, they do get some coin for those things. But eh, it it you know it's a tool of the tool of the trade. I guess you could say it. I mean, it's like the last bike you're ever going to buy. It already has everything. So. <laughs> You know, if you add up everything that it's going to cost you to just build one anyway, then you you realize quickly that, hmm, maybe I should have just started with this. Ah, <laughs> so, uh,
1: you, you're right now you're talking my life story.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's funny. Eventually we'll get like Visa or Amex to sponsor the podcast and then we'll make <laughs> maybe make things a little easier. <laughs> we'll start some <laughs> scholarships, you know, some GoFundMes, the uh, so Tell me a little, you know, all right, we just got done, this uh, afia Ruta. What is, uh, what's on the books next? You you mentioned earlier that this is like your once a year party pass. Uh, you got any other small rallies, any other events you're thinking about doing?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I uh, stateside, I know Kota is going to happen again next year. Mike Graves is a, fan, Mike Graves is a fantastic guy, runs a top-notch event. Um, <laughs> then I know Dr. Choma or Toma to, Northern Nevada, I know he's working on a Battle Born Rally. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just talking to Willem about the Baja Rally coming up in a few weeks, but I, I won't be able to swing that. So uh, right now, I think my focus is on a rally bike. I'm, I am think I'm going to talk to the guys at Covey and see about their Pro Rally 450 bike. I mm-hmm. um, had a really cool guy uh, out of Patagonia. His mm-hmm. name was Ivan Mart- Mart- Martin, mm-hmm. and we... We joked. We kind of found each other all week long. Um, Same blood type, so we called each other brothers because we had the same last name. And he was on a Covey, and I asked him point blank, um, how modified is your bike? And is it withstanding all of the the beating? Mm -hmm. And he said, this is a stock bike. The only thing I've done is put an ER ERTF uh, device on it. And everything else is bone stock. All we did was prep it, and it has run perfectly fine all week long. Yeah. So, um, and I've talked to a few other guys that have ridden that bike, and the reviews are good. So, um, I, I don't know how you don't consider that price point, mm-hmm. availability. There's a there's a lot of you know you know every, you know the buzzword is market disruptor, mm-hmm. and they're coming out with a motocross bike for seven grand. Like, uh, you know, yeah. I, I, it's I, I'm going to shake a stick at it. So, um, I think I think a lot depends on which bike I get next, of mm-hmm. uh, what uh, what event I will choose to do. Um, you know the the rat. I think it's the Hellas Rally or the Saras Rally in Greece. That sounds fun. Um, the South American Rally Series they have five or six rounds that <clears throat> I may consider to go back to um, there's there's a ton like it, there, there's just so much now there's so much option if you're willing to travel um, rally is huge in other parts of the world like like just to talk a little bit about the people in South America the, the sweetest people I'd be in the middle of nowhere I will I would not have seen somebody for an hour or two. And all of a sudden, you'd come into this area. It wasn't even a village. And there'd be hundreds of people lining the cliff cheering you on. Nice. And it just, you know, like motorsports, like the culture down there, everybody's on a moped or a small CC motorcycle in their village. That's how they get around. So two-wheeled sports down there are huge. Absolutely huge. You would have thought... You would have thought this guy with a smiley jacket in last place was racing for first. <laughs> it was, dude. It was the it was the coolest thing ever, man. The, That's the awesome. sweetest people. I mean, I think I enjoyed taking pictures with those kids and adults more than they did. I mean, it was just, it was just the sweetest thing.
0: Nice. Oh man, that is that is awesome. I mean, I mean, it. it, it Rally, you know, obviously here in the States has got a ways to go as far as growing and, and that goes, but that's awesome to see. I mean, that the amount of fan base and, you know, how how supportive they are of that. That I mean, I know that's got to be a pretty good... I'm sure that's like your third or fourth win, you know, going into a section and now all of a sudden you got all these people standing around cheering you on and, you know. Yeah, man,
1: like, and, and just like full embracing of the event. Like they haven't had the De Sofia route since 2018. Mm -hmm. And all all of the towns we went through had military law enforcement personnel escorting us through. Um, Another thing that dawned on me, why I waited, it waited so long to dawn on me, but I had, I was taking corners. I was taking the race line on corners, you know, inside, outside, inside, outside. And late in the week, I realized, my gosh, with all of these spectators, thousands, all of them, no one was ever on the race course with a vehicle. Interesting. So, based on the location of where these people were, they got there the night before or early in the morning.
0: Yeah. So, so,
1: this... so the, the honor and the respect level that they had for it yeah. was just, just it was, it's just one of those beautiful things that just. It makes you it, it, it makes your jaw drop because you're you're in awe. And I fell over one time in a wash. Like fifteen people started sprinting over to help me. You know, it, it it's just you know I, I mean it's it's like the people of Sonora, same thing. Ishai is that helped me when I ran out of fuel. It, yeah. it was the same same culture, and there was so there were so many times where I was like, I wish I could just take a handful of these people back home with me.
0: It's, it's interesting to see that, I mean, I guess, you know, the, the, the cultures that you come across the, you know, when, when you're on a motorcycle, but then not only that, but then traveling the world in rally, you know, and going through these towns that, you know, maybe don't see a lot of spectators. Um, that, you know, is an interesting thing because I know that's a big th- safety thing here in Baja uh, when you go to these races is, you know, you got to watch out for spectators at all times you know, and they're crowding the race course. They're trying to get the best picture, the best glimpse of the next guy coming through. And, you know, and, and it just closes off race courses. It becomes very dangerous. Um, but it's like, it seems like from what you're telling me, I, I, I just envision a sea of professional spectators, guys that know, you know, people that know, you know, what the event's kind of about, the speeds to spec, expect, that kind of stuff. I mean, it's really interesting, you know, to, to hear something like that.
1: Yeah, man. Like for instance, I don't remember seeing any spectators on the outside of a race turn. Yeah, I do remember seeing them on the inside. Mm-hmm. So when you say professional spectators, they, they're they know they're two wheel off road sports.
0: Yeah, and where where they where they need to be, you know, and and that and that does bring up something interesting. I had I had heard in in, in one of the episodes when we were talking. Um, that the the amount of like now that the the Dakar has moved over to Saudi and is in the Middle East is that the spectators and the party that it is I I say party loosely you know just the the amount of support and fan base and just this the event that it is has very much has changed you know that you don't see as many uh, spectators, you don't get that same vibe it, with the the latest rendition of the Dakar being in the Middle East versus when it was in South America, and I mean, it sounds like with this is it, it just reassures that.
1: Yeah, there's, there's, there's. I agree, a hundred percent. So on our team, we had uh, Paraguay, Ecuador, Uruguay, uh, a few Argentinians, and and watching how they, uh, prepared watching, you know, I have a lot of watched a lot of the pre rally stuff that they did in their home countries, Mm -hmm. press releases and, uh, pre pre parties. And like, it's a, it's definitely a different, more celebrated environment for sure. Uh, and, and they just, I, I think there's just a higher, what's the word I'm looking for? Not really, not the word is not respect because there's plenty of respect here, Mm -hmm. but I think there's just a higher level of significance Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. what teams and racers do. Um, you know, like, like the commitment to get to the star line. It's a, it's a huge commitment. And I think that that information is out there more prevalently and the fan base have more of an awareness of what it takes. Um, you know, I think it would—I would, think it would be comparative, comparable to something like this. Like, I know what it takes to own a McDonald's franchise. You have to have a ton of liquid cash, and you have to have X amount of resources and X amount of business experience in order to be a McDonald's franchise owner. Mm-hmm. And, and I believe it's—I believe it's a, the, the analogy is comparative to what it takes to race rally, especially a world round. And I think the fan base understands that. They understand that the people they're watching are incredibly good riders and drivers. They are incredibly committed to what they're doing and they either have a lot of financial backing or they've saved their whole life for it, or they have a a bunch of great companies and people behind them to get them there. And that, I think that plays and adds to a fan's approach how they celebrate what's taking place.
0: Yeah. That is absolutely, I mean, you know, you think, I think that it's like a, like admiration. Is admiration the word for that? I don't know.
1: That'd be a great word. It'd be a yeah. fantastic word.
0: Yeah. That they, I mean, yeah, they, it's, uh, one, I mean when people look at a road book, you know, if you don't know what you're looking at, there <laughs> instant admiration there because it's like, okay, well, I, I respect the fact that you know what all of this means. When, in fact, we, you know, I say we, but I'm uh, in this conversation, I'm the one with the least amount of roadbook experience. You know, you look at it and you go, "Eh, yeah, I more or less know what that means. (laughs) You know, so it's it's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting dynamic. And how like in the bivouacs when you guys were there, like, is there is there a lot of spectators coming around? I mean, is is it a pretty big show like, you know, there's constantly people moving back and forth that aren't actual competitors or is it pretty sealed off?
1: Yeah, the, the way this rally ran is uh, the start line was in La Rioja, Re, mm-hmm. and um, they, they did allow. It happened over a weekend, so the bivouac was had quite a bit of foot traffic uh, in it, and you know, they I think some of the local schools may have brought their classes on Friday. So yeah, there was a fair amount of attention there, and um, I believe that I believe. There was a direct TV package, a TV package that was going to go to I don't know six different countries in South America. So um, th- there's no doubt that it got some exposure, for sure. Nice. Yeah, nice. but I uh, touch yeah. base on the navigation thing. That's when I learned about buying Robo Man. Just a few typo notes, but. I really learned about FIM roadbooks. There were multiple notes that had when we, when we're making a road book, we would have put three or four notes and, you know, one, you know, one note, two note, three note, four note where these FIM books, they're putting like three or four notes in one note.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so that was like brain scramble. Like all of a sudden you're racing and Jimmy Lewis will tell you all the time. You can't navigate and race at the same time. And it, all of a sudden here I am I'm like interpreting encyclopedia and it's only one note Yeah. so you know so that that was gnarly
0: yeah so that's a you know that's an interesting one and I kind of know what you're talking about but it, like normally can you break that down a little bit like okay you know the typical three notes you know off the top of your head what, what would three notes look like
1: uh, okay perfect totally so for instance uh the tulip is uh, the wash splits go right at an average cap heading of 30. Mm-hmm. And then in the written section, it's um, 200 meters. Change your cap to 15.
0: That would have been note go two. Go down.
1: Yep. Danger uh, danger two downhill. Go left at the end of the hill.
0: And note three. But all of that in one note
1: all of that in one note. And and and, and uh, oh and by the way, when you split the wash there's three options. And when you get to the bottom of the hill, there's three options.
0: Mm, okay. So
1: and it, yeah. <laughs>
0: so they want to make you doubt yourself.
1: <laughs> so, oh, oh hands down. Yeah. Hands down and then and then to look at the lines that were thrown down, dude there was no doubt. No doubt that there were pro games happening. I would see three lines over there and one line over there, the opposite direction, and then you'd see, you know, ten burned-in lines in one direction. Like, (laughs) like.
0: And even with that, you're questioning it.
1: (laughs) Yes, even with that. And then there was a really cool wash that was like thirty kilometers long. Um, I was trying; I was picking my way out of the deep ruts some cars had come through and I started cutting every corner. I was looking ahead on the book going, okay, I don't have to capture a waypoint. I can cut this corner. I can cut this corner. I can cut this corner. And I noticed about two or three Ks in when I started doing that, I started noticing another track and I'm like, okay, my speed is way down. And if I'm fumbling on another track, and this track is flowing really, really well. This is a GP pro track. Mm-hmm. And there is no way you would have known those lines going the speeds those guys are going unless you had the hometown advantage. So at one point, I'm like, I've got to be following Luciano's lines. I have to. There's, I, I have to. Because the bushes that I was going through with my eyes closed, I was just hoping it went straight. And and then I would stumble on I would stumble on a track and I'd be like, ah, this is cool, you know. Um, and the other thing I noticed too was the, the the book author wrote those books for the guys going really really fast. Okay. Because some some notes I was like that wasn't hard, and they told us last night in briefing that that was supposed to be complicated. And then that happened two or three times and I'm like, okay, why am I finding this fairly easy? Mm -hmm. And then I happened, and then I just happened to pick up my pace. I started to feel good. I had a surge of good vision and felt good. And then I started to notice, Oh, that was hard. Oh, that was, Oh, that was hard. That came up quick. Oh, I had three green boxes and they were all really challenging. It's because the the, the author is considering the speed of the GP riders, I think when they're writing the book and you know, what, what was a triple danger in the book? I'm like, that wasn't a triple danger. I just had to, I just had to stand up and look forward. Mm -hmm. But if I'm doing a hundred KPH with, you know, 62 miles an hour, the GP guys are doing 130 or 140. So that danger is coming up a lot quicker. Yeah. So that's that was another mental adjustment that I learned that you only learn under race conditions. So I thought that was really cool to learn that about the author, and I just said, okay, that's an FIM author.
0: Yeah. So so this is uh so this was something interesting. I I think I spotted it at, at Sonora, and I I was talking with uh, Kent and Jen uh, this past weekend. Did you guys have any weird speed zones out in the middle of nowhere? Like you quite, <laughs> Like you quest- like you questioned it. Like, wait, why? It's flat. There's nothing here. Why is there a speed zone in the middle of nowhere?
1: Yeah, I mean, but <laughs> but, but, but most of them were to respect the the local landscape and some homes or structures or some commerce. Okay. But 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 yes, um, yes. And I think if you, if I I haven't I haven't been home yet, but once I get in front of a computer. I think I'll be able to tell which day had the most speed zones that were completely in the middle of nowhere, and it was 100% of a mental discipline exercise. I think it was Friday, day five, where we'd we'd be in, you know, a 10-kilometer section, high speed, not many turns, and then, boom, speed zone, like, not even in twisty turns, just in a cool valley floor. Just to see if you
0: were paying attention. I, yeah, I see. I knew it. And I, and which is interesting. And, and they're short from what I picked up on is that they're short, like literally, like if you miss it, if you go like, Ooh, even if you put on all the binders, you're, you're going to blow You'll get almost to the very end of the speed zone. Like they're short, you know, hundred meter to maybe 200 meters, not very long. But it's enough to get you a penalty if you just, you know, again, if you if you weren't paying attention, if you weren't playing the game, you know, and just kind of drifted off, it would it would definitely check you.
1: So so Chronicles of an Everyday Guy. Mm-hmm. At, at one point on Friday, I did it like the third time because my brain was fried. And I actually in my head, I actually calculated. Well, if I got the penalty already. How long does the penalty grace me with? Because I might just not even break now and just go through it. (laughs) Like, whatever. I probably just got a four-minute penalty. It's only 200 meters. I'll just stay going fast because I don't think they're going to penalize me twice.
0: It's like, oh, well. Just just send it.
1: (laughs) Just send it. It's more effort to slam the brakes on, be irritated that I slowed down and broke pace. I'll just
0: take the penalty and keep going yeah yeah i mean it, it's 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 an interesting you know i've i heard i heard rumor of it at sonora i heard some things i heard that there was some uphill even an uphill that was kind of you know torture to have a speed zone to try and get up this hill so i kind of see it as like maybe good and bad you know i don't know I'm trying to think of it on the, like the race direction side of it. Right. You know, you, you put a speed zone out there. It's clearly marked in the road book. It's in an area where there is no danger. Uh, a speed zone is a speed zone is a speed zone. So you may not know, but that might be, you know, some ranchers land. That's an am- absentee owner. And the deal was, is I don't want you guys speeding when you cross my property line, even though you're only going to be in here for about 32 seconds. So I could see where, you know, yeah, somebody blows by it, they take the penalty and and then they want heads at the end of the, you know, at the end of that stage. You know, why did you guys do this to me? Why did you guys do it? But at the same time from, I would think from the organization side of it is, is, well, it's in the road book. It's clearly marked. You're supposed to be navigating. You're supposed to be following the road book. So where's the question? You know, that's, uh, you know, I kind of like it because I think that that really breaks up and and doesn't i guess you could say is it doesn't allow the guy that's you know pinning it all the time that's just you know trying to get lucky uh, it, it brings things back down a little bit
1: Oh 100%. No, racer be aware, man. I, racer be aware. No, no issue at all with a, a book author doing that and, and in all and in all transparency th- there was not an excessive amount of that. And I think there, I think one or two times, I think I had one little uphill that was a little bit of a challenge, not a big deal. And a less than a handful of times where there were speed zones in the middle of nowhere. And no racer beware. Like, like that's another element. You know, when I explain, when I try to explain rally to non rally riders, you know, and talk about all of the extra stuff outside of riding your bike, you know, they're just like, that's just too much to think about. And I'm like, that's why they call us pilots and not racers because you, you're, you got to, you, you, you're required to process a high level of computation and information. And that is part of the challenge and the mental exercise. Um, when I did some training uh, a month before, and I went out with to Michael Graves' place, he's got a road book out in Colorado and And I I said to my partner that came with me, who is a dirt bike rider, but not a rally guy. And, you know, I said, Hey man, I know it's going to be a little boring riding with me, but, um, I I really appreciate you sticking with me because I need the mental exercise. Mm -hmm. I was, I was riding enough physically. I was fine, but I needed the mental exercise. I needed my eyes to go up and down. I needed to think about distances. I needed to, I needed to look at a compass heading. I needed to look at, you know, where's the sun setting right now? Like I, all that mental exercise and that's a, that's a huge part. You know the drill? That's a that's a huge part for somebody that's trying to navigate.
0: That is and I don't think a lot like it's uh I'm trying to remember I think Ricky Brabeck said something about that. It's like trying to read and and do 100 miles an hour at the same time or text and do 100 miles an hour at the same time or there was some analogy to that. Yeah, I wish I could remember it, but that that is That is what makes the sport, though. That's what makes the sport, actually. That's literally what makes the sport. You know, because anybody, if you put a follow, you know, follow the line, follow the arrows, everybody can ride fast. You know, they just wait for the next arrow. Hope it's still there that some four-wheel vehicle didn't knock it down. But it makes the difference when you have a road book, you have these games, quote-unquote, these different tricky notes, these things, you know, that makes it it. So that just makes it that instead of three people being competitive, you've got, 10 people being competitive. And then you got that one guy, the wild card that navigates super clean, isn't the fastest on any given day, but yet he's in the top five.
1: Yeah, that that was what hooked me on rally when Scott Bright, you know, said, Hey, read this book. And it was reading Lawrence Hacking's book. You've had him on your show. And, and the the, the thing that caught me was a C ability rider could compete with a B rider and a B rider could compete with an A rider because it wasn't all speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that is, it's magic. Like it, like it's magic. I call him Frenchy. He was on he was in snore a few years ago. He was on an old clapped out WR mm-hmm. <clears> 250 And my, and I was riding out of my mind. I was riding really well that morning and I kept passing him. And then he kept passing me and I kept passing him and then he kept passing me. And every time he passed me, it's because I blew a corner. Every time I passed him, it's because I was holding it wide open down a straightaway. And he was a better navigator with a better consistent speed. And I was a not as good navigator that had too much. I was, my speeds were too volatile. And sure enough, he finished above me. Yeah.
0: So it's every you know that that note the most efficient line right not not adding any extra kilometers for missed notes, uh, missed waypoints, spending time looking for waypoints that kind of thing, all those little.
1: A hundred percent. Yeah. It's it, it, it's it's a hundred percent. The old adage: you got to slow down to go fast.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, i and
1: not yeah, not
0: crash. Yeah, and not crash. Yeah, and I and and, and I mean, and it's very true. I mean, I've seen. Uh, you know, I've talked about this before. I've seen literally rallies. I've saw a Baja rally got get decided um, between Trent Burgess and uh, Colton Udall on the last waypoint of the day of the last stage. Literally decided the rally. So it's 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 crazy. You know, from being you know seconds apart the entire time to minutes apart to a sizable lead, and literally one waypoint was the the whole difference. You know, and so it's. I, you know, I guess that's, that's the reason, you know, to to love the sport. And if nothing else, and even if as a recreational rider, right, just the, just the challenge of like, okay, hand me that piece of paper. I'm going to go find my way through the middle of nowhere using hieroglyphics and I'll hope for the best. Just tell me more or less where I need to be. (laughs) You know, what's the nearest city that I'm supposed to end up by (laughs) just in case.
1: And, 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 you know, the feeling in rally when you look in front of you, and your eyes will take you as far as they can, and you see nobody. And then you glance behind you, and you're impressed with your own dust trail, but there's, you know there's nobody behind you. And when you're that remote, and you feel not alone, mm-hmm. but you enjoy the vastness of your surroundings, to me, that is the perfect golf shot. That's what I desire every time I get on a rally bike, is to be... So far alone, but feel not alone because I know where I'm at. I understand my road book. I have confidence in my instrumentation and my bike. That's just, that's what I seek every time I, I get on a road book. And it seems the more I rally, the more I have that feeling, and it's a really, really cool feeling.
0: Yeah. Oh, Amen. I need to get, I need to get riding. <laughs> I need that. Yeah. I, you know, it's, uh, it, it is, I mean, I have the only, you know, really I've done some road books. I did a road book with, uh, with gnarly Dave, you know, I've done, uh, I did the uh, SoCal rally a couple of days on that, you know, there, I saw that, uh, Dan's out there on the bike already planning for uh 2024 and, you know, it, you go back and you, it's crazy. You start remembering notes. You start remembering sections. You start remembering finding your way when you were in, when you didn't know you were in where you needed to be that aha moment, you know, the, that instant gratification of hitting every note, you know, or hitting notes and going like, yeah, I'm on it. You know, the, and the, I think the one that, that is maybe most important is I don't know how the hell I just got here but look at the view. I have zero idea. Do not ask me to come back out here again. Cause I will not know how to get back out here again. I've done so many turns, but then you look up and you just like, think like, wow, you know, and you have no idea where you're going. You can't say like, Oh cool. We're headed to this. Oh, look at those hills off in the distance. You could be 30 seconds away from making a right and never looking at those hills ever again on the rest of the day's ride, you know? And so I think that's that unknown, that challenge. I think that, you know, that's a big, big part of it i think too
1: so, oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah when i like like you talk about Day, or dan making starting to prep for 2024 same like <clears throat> i'm gonna with we, we use these Sophia Ruta to launch the right happy foundation so i'm coming home to begin planning its first event and it's gonna it's gonna look something like we did for mason a few years ago yeah. and i'm excited to i'm excited to go back to that one road book, that one section that I had to punch a way through and we couldn't do it for Mason's fundraiser because it was too far. But I I, I haven't been back to that location since then, and I'll probably only go back on a road book. So I'm looking forward to standing on that cliff again, right at the Nevada-California border above Armagosa. And I can't wait to go back. Yeah, The only... The only time I would ever be there would be on a road book.
0: That's, I, you know, you think about how, like, you know where it is, how to get to it, where, you know. But the idea of creating a road book and seeing the scenery and finding, you know, like, well, I could go up this main road. But I know that this canyon has a wash that I could take to get to this other section over here. And you start stringing all of these things together. And, and it just makes that journey that much better. You know, you, you earn that view for sure. Rather than taking the easy way.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad you said that too. Cause I think that's, a, there's another element there that a lot of folks, um, a lot of folks probably have heard from us, but they really don't really get it. And that's the cross country travel. Like, like when you're, when you got to go from point A to point B, I really saw it in South America. Like Victor, our bikes were, were mangled every single day. Like, one dude blew a tranny and a motor in the same week. Um, I had electrical problems. I had no tower power for 200 kilometers, I think, on day two. Um, I had no ICO on day five, no cap heading. and, and or, I'm sorry, day four. When I was in the dunes, I had no cap heading. Um, and day one, I lost electrical power. Uh, I didn't, I didn't have my distance reader and I, there's, there's, I mean, our bikes are just trashed, man. And it's because of the true cross country, you know, how many, how many rain erosion, I couldn't even call them ruts. There were, there there were gaps and how many times we'd come up on them and your only option was to stick it and just slam the bottom of the bike into the edge. Like you didn't have an option, um, the, the, the thorns down mm-hmm. there Like you should see my hands right now They're both swollen Because you just plow You just go And nobody thinks of that Because everybody's we're all used to riding trails mm-hmm. But the cross country travel is Dude, it's exhilarating Scary um, It charges you up And it just absolutely roasts your bike Like I had to look down a few times To see if I punctured hoses Cause I'm like, I ah, uh, hope, hope, hope I'm okay with that. And then I'd look down and there'd be five, two inch thorns sticking out of my kneecap. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that sounds like a little more hard enduro <laughs> than it does rally. But, but I mean, but that's the thing, you know, and I mean, that's, that's always what worries me with HP sections when i when i hear you know hp typically i feel like a lot of times is reserved for the dunes but you know you could be crossing from one trail to the next i did see a few of those sections in the in the socal roadbook rally you know you it's kind of everyone for themselves you know if you're the lead group the lead guys you get to cut your own trail you know and and figure it out and yeah you could be 100 meters off to the one side and, and where you are, there are rain ruts and there is a cutoff of, you know, water cutout or something alongs or bushes or trees or whatever, you know, and, and a hundred meters North, it was the line that everybody else took and no. And so I think that, that unknown, it just compounds, you don't know where you're going. Like they said, right. It's, it's you're by the time you're at the second note, you're already lost because you have no idea where you're going. You know, you just got all of these books or notes in front of you. So I think that that just it you know it just compounds and grows and i i you know i don't think i had to be honest you know in thinking about it i had a good idea before i did the socal rally and before i did the road book with uh with gnarly dave uh but it was when i did the socal road book rally that i realized that there's no way around it you have to get behind a book you just whatever it doesn't matter if it's a manual advanced road book if it's a phone if it's a what, you know, an old old Gen One Ico, whatever it is, you just get behind a book and and just go out and ride and just see it. Go go get lost, you know. You where where you guys were right when we did the uh, that event. You mentioned that with uh, the event we did the fundraiser for Mason at your place. You know, there's Vegas, there's there, there's that. It doesn't matter <laughs> if you go lost, you're gonna hit a highway. <laughs> so you know, I I. I just, I think, you know, when you, to hear you talk about it and, and those experiences, it's like, you it just need to ride more. <laughs> it makes me think I've been, I've been sitting on the couch for too long. This has been a long summer.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. And and you know, like in, in all transparency, like like this rally with me being at the back of the pack, I, I didn't, you know, like I didn't have a lot of challenging navigation because I had a lot of reference points to go off of, right? Mm-hmm. But, but on day two, on day two, all of a sudden, I was, all of a sudden, I saw two or three guys pass me that started 10 minutes before me. I'm like, hey, something's going on. I am following the road book and I a lot of these guys got, they got, they got comfortable following tracks and I always, you know, so I, I did a lot of verifying my road book during this rally because I was toward the back of the pack, mm-hmm. but there, but I, but when, when there was some really tricky navigation that was like justifiably tricky, I, my practice and my painting of following the road book and not following tracks proved to be beneficial in the guys coming up behind me that started well before me huh. and they were just doing circles out in dry lake beds and you know some some areas that were really defined pathways but then all of a sudden there'd be a you know a a, a one a, you know a hundred meter by hundred meter crop of desert trees and you'd see one track into them and then all of a sudden you'd see five tracks coming out of them <laughs> and guys that guys that were relying on tracks were getting lost and here I was, burr, burr, burr. and then five kilometers later, I'd look behind me and go, "That dude, that dude started like ten minutes before I did today. What happened?" Yeah. Oh, oh, he's following tracks. Yeah. So yeah, there's, there's that you got to get behind a roadbook to to affirm what you were saying. You got to get behind a yeah
0: And just go out and and do it. Well, we got to figure it out. We got to. We got to get more of these uh, more of these events. I mean, I'm I'm, obviously it's growing. You mentioned it earlier, right? You've got Kent Kent and Jen working on Battleborn rally. Mike Graves out there doing the uh, Kota rally. You know, I know that uh, Todd Zacher is working on some stuff back east. So, you know, you've got Baja rally. You've got Sonora rally. It's not too far fetched to say you could do five rallies in a year next year.
1: And, and, you know, it's funny that that came up in a conversation uh, a few months ago, and I I haven't put the committee together yet, but uh, maybe that's something that I tackle. I don't know yet, but it, it would be really cool if we had a unifying body of sorts that could bring these five or six rallies, you know, not a sanctioning body, but. You know, I was gonna, you know, like South America, like SARS, S A R R. Like I was thinking, same thing, NAR. Mm-hmm. Uh, funny in that, funny, uh, funny pun with gnarly Dave. Yeah. Um, you know, North American Rally raids or something. But um, I, I think that would help. Um, I just don't know what it looks like. It requires a bunch of people and a bunch of work. But um, you're right. With all of those options, you know, some, something that something that would unify okay, all those events run rally comps. All those events run this protocol because to to be honest with you, man, like you got Stella, you got ERTF, you got rally comp, you know, it's, you know, if you're just doing point to point racing, hair scrambles, and Hounds, like it's enough to figure that stuff out. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I do think that there are some healthy opportunities for us to lower the complication of things to attract more people, to be more more enticed to try this thing, yeah, because we already know we already know there's some real obstacles to starting. Yes, you know it's a, it's a difficult discipline. It requires logistics, time, a little bit of money. Um, you know, so I think there are opportunities that if we could kind of streamline some things across some multiple rallies. I think that would be helpful. And maybe somebody listening maybe somebody listening wants to take the torch. Um, you know, I can't say enough about Robert Mann and Freedom Rally Racing, like what they've accomplished so far. You know, they they grabbed it by the horns and you know, with the support of a lot of guys, like look at Willem, like look at you, look at what you've done. Like, you know, there's 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 so much passion that um, I'm excited for where it's going and I I I hope that Covey even, you know, accelerates, you know, wh- what this discipline's all about. Um, I mean, you know, even thought of different format rallies. Like, what happens if you did a – think about this for a second. A sprint enduro single-day rally rate. Yeah. Yeah, I – So, road book. <laughs> yeah. Small bike. Small bike, go. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I and, you know, then that's um... – You know, this was something and and for those of the you know, for those playing the home game, this this next I think this next part of the conversation is going to be an interesting thing because I think it holds the future of what we may see here in the U.S. And that's that, you know, cloverleaf type rallies on bikes that are, you know, not the five gallon, six gallon, you know, like we're talking like 100 kilometer road books and you're going to maybe run two of those stages, you know, in a day. Or it's a 200 kilometer road book, but you're coming back through this pit and it's maybe it's hot pits. Maybe it's, you know, and I think that what kind of reaffirmed me is a conversation that, that I was privy to and, and, and part of that. We here in the U.S., we've done off road racing forever. And in in very, very challenging conditions, there is nothing like the southern, you know, the southwest desert in other parts of the world close to when where you were but as far as the sheer number of racers and participants and guys that'll line up on you know on any sunday or you know or saturday it's it's crazy and i think that yeah the cost entry barrier to the rally raid uh can can be a little bit high um but it just depends on you know what you want to do are you having to rebuild the bike you know are you having to add a a $400 fuel tank to your bike because you won't make the distance of the 250-kilometer roadbook. You know, are are we, you know, are we shooting ourselves in the foot to a certain extent by trying to continue to uphold this, you know, the long rally stages and all that stuff when, you know, we could be doing shorter 100-kilometer sprint roadbooks like you mentioned and and be able to get more people into the fold you know you have rally light kits you don't you don't need a tower you don't need a windscreen you don't need you know you just need something that holds the navigation stuff in front of you and it's not a huge transformation of the bike you know where it's something that you know here is six bolts two wires and you now have a navigation set up on your bike and and is it good enough to compete against luciano Skyler? Uh, Mason, any of the other guys, you know, out there? No, not really, because it's not a purpose-built rally bike that that's all it does. But what it does do is it gets you through these next 100 kilometers, you know, in a in an easier road book, right? You don't want to try and make it too complicated, get a bunch of people lost. But you get something that's a little bit more simple, that's a little bit shorter, that's a lot easier on the impact of the financial side of it. And yeah, I think you're going to get more guys that'll go for it.
1: Oh yeah, man. Like, like I, ha- I just bought uh Willems rally. I mean, and that's, and that's what I did when I went out to train in Colorado, my buddy, my awesome buddy, Mark Klein, let me borrow his Yamaha. Mm-hmm. And all I did was bolt on the, <clears throat> the mount to the handlebars. I charged the, the pad up the night before and boom, I had my electronic road book for the day, no wires, no nothing. But it, it worked fantastic and boom. I, th- I took it off that night and we ran and ran, ran single track the next day and in, in another part of the state, like it could, I could told the more we're talking about it, the more excited I'm getting about it. Cause that would be dude. Like think about it. Think about it. You just, you, you make a road book for a loop around Glen Ellen. And it's a 12 minute loop. I don't know how many K's that is. But what are they usually like 10 miles? So a 16 kilometer road book. I
0: mean, how fun would that be? Yeah. Yeah, no Yeah, and you're on your race bike. Yeah. What's going on, guys? Victor with the Chasing Waypoints podcast. All right. Are you looking to promote your brand to a worldwide audience on the podcast? Drop us a line at podcast at chasingwaypoints.com, and let's talk. See what we can do about getting you some more ears for your company and getting the word out worldwide. Yeah. Super simple setup. You know, you've got a little bit of room. I mean, you literally all you would have to do is move the traction control, you know, depending if you're on an Austrian bike or I think some of the newer uh Japanese bikes have it too. But if you've got a traction control slash map switch, move that on over, bolt this super thin, you know, three, four button roadbook switch and mount this thing over the bars. And yeah, I mean, is it perfectly in the line of sight no but does it have the map and does it have what you need yeah so just navigate accordingly you know yeah. so i you know I, I really do think and and you know this was actually we also talked about this with uh at the caselli fundraiser was uh with uh with jacob jacob argybright you know that was something that we talked about as well and i i completely think that it is feasible it could literally happen it's just more people getting involved you know having the setup having the information out there and that's a big thing because I mean, it's, you know, yeah, roadbook is, uh, is, is expensive. You get a couple of ICOs on there, you get a couple of RNS units on there. Uh, you know, it, it could get pricey really fast, but the more you start eliminating things that people already have, you know, things that are laying around the house or, or, or things that are easily obtained, you know, all of a sudden It becomes plausible and then road books and then you have road books that are short, sweet, you know, to the point. I, you know, I, I think we're going to have, you know, it's it's like uh, it's like soccer. It's popular in the rest of the world, except here. There's a there's a following. There's people that look at it. There's people that, you know, they're they're fans and, you know, there's the home teams. But it's not like it is in other parts of the world where if you're wearing the wrong jersey, it's just as bad as wearing the wrong color at the wrong part of town you know, and so I think that that's kind of the similar comparison here. Yeah. Rally is popular in the rest of the world, but just here in the States, it just hasn't found its mainstream side of it yet, but growing obviously with the amount of, uh, amount of events that are starting to, to pop up.
1: Yes. I, I like, like, like I say, we do it like even like, and, and I was, and I was hoping I had an opportunity cause I wanted to shout out to a bunch of guys at home. Yeah. Like, like, why wouldn't we call on the experience of guys like Dave Pearson and Mo Hart and Scott Bright and Alex Martins and the Chris Vestals? Like, why wouldn't we call on their experience and say, hey, you know the big international game? <clears throat> what, what could we make right here in our backyard that, faces the obstacles that we face mm-hmm. and we're able to mitigate those obstacles and still have some type of event like you and I just talking through it right now I'm just like well, well wait a minute I, I could put Skyler and Mason and Ricky on a single day course that I think they would still have fun on mm-hmm. but th- but it wouldn't wreck their schedules and it, it, it could attract a fair amount of attention where it was something like a short row book close to home and boom. Yeah. What, what did that, what, what, did, what did that take? Mm-hmm. That, I mean, you know, and he's a wealth of knowledge. Um, Scotty, wow, like you, like there's, there's so much, I think there's so much intellectual brand power that is so accessible right now that I think we can do something. I'm, I get more excited that now we're talking it out and I get excited about it because I think it's a hundred percent feasible. Yeah.
0: Yeah. With just basic things, you know, and I, I, it, it's crazy. You know, it doesn't have to be, uh, I, I had seen this before. I don't recall where it was, but it, not to, to, to cheapen, but think about it as uh, the minimum viable product. What is the minimum thing? Like, okay, you need a road book. You need a very basic navigation setup that can bolt on pretty much any bike that's out there, you know, and, and make it happen. Doesn't have to be fancy. Doesn't have to go big. Hey, if somebody wants to, there, there's guys that are going to want to show up with a full on RFR to these events. But you don't need that. You'll do just as well on your WR two fifty that's tuned to with an inch of its life, you know, that's meant for hair scrambles, and you know, it's got a tank just big enough to do eighty miles at race pace. And here, bolt this on, go get lost, you know. And if you give up, just you know, aim for this hill, <laughs> you know. We'll fly <laughs> we'll fly this flag, you know, or whatever, and and just come back to it, you know. And you know, I think that there's so many like there's so many opportunities to do something like this, you know, it, it, it could just so easily be done. There's enough people down here. Gnarly Dave's got a bunch of roadbooks, you know, up in the high desert. Jacob Argybright as well. Uh, I know Mason's got roadbooks up, you know, up in his area. All of these things where it could just be simple enough. You know, I know Ryan narino has been doing roadbooks out in uh, out east in the Plaster City area or Plaster City, as I call it. But, you know, there's there's a, you know. Where do you want to go? It's easy enough. You know, couple, you know, do two roadbooks a day. I mean, a 120 to 180 miles in a single day. It's a pretty good day. You know, break it up into three roadbooks. You know, a short break in between whatever it is. Or maybe you go, you do one Friday afternoon and you do another two on Saturday and then you, you're home by Sunday. I don't know. You know, there's so much you could do and it doesn't have to be all about... 300 kilometers you know they traveled on, c- across the entire peninsula you know none of that you know it's just something that it's just basic and fun and, and everybody got lost and then they got came back and they're all standing around the campfire you know giving each other crap about how they missed this note and you know they would you know they can't navigate their way out of a paper bag or you know I don't you know I don't know it's just something super simple but
1: the happy the happy sprint rally Ugh.
0: There you go. <laughs> it sounds like we've got the one for Nevada covered. <laughs> Ta-da. Ta-da. <laughs> nice. Well, excellent. Well, how, uh, how far are you from home? Been on uh,
1: I just, dro- yep, just dropped down the hill in Prim. So. Oh, nice. Well, the, the last uh, 60, 65 Ks, and I'll be at my front door.
0: Nice. Yeah, I, I remember that downhill into Prim. It makes... Prim at the top of the hill looks like it's like 3 minutes away and and after about 45 minutes you're realizing you just barely got to Prim. <laughs> I yeah. don't know, I don't know how the earth rotates on that downhill. It just seems like you should be there in way less time than you actually are. <laughs> <laughs> so, nice. Well, excellent. Well, any uh closing thoughts, suggestions?
1: No, man, tips? just no, just no, thank you as always. Thank you as always, of- just leading the charge that you're leading. I, I truly believe having watched your presence and your podcast grow, that it's been a leading force and getting more guys enthused about it, keeping guys that are already in it, more in it. I know that's, I know it's been that way for me, so I'm thankful for it. Um, and it's just a, I guess my closing thought for anybody listening is call with questions. If you're intrigued by it, like, have a discussion with somebody, um, get out and ride with us. It's super fun. I mean, I, I, for for the last year or the prior to me getting the Honda, I rode my 300 with my phone using the Rally Navigator roadbook reader. Like, I didn't need anything, you know? So it's just a fun way to do it. And I think a good analogy is my training loop. I have a training loop near my house, 64 miles. Mm -hmm. I wrote a road book for it. And now this is the loop that I do like the back of my hand. I test all my stuff on all my settings. I wrote a road book for it and I got lost in the first 20 k's.
0: And you designed the road book.
1: (laughs) And, and I, I, I know the terrain and I wrote the road book. So just following a road book, just, it's just a completely new experience behind your bars. And I, I would, I just, obviously I'm biased. I would, encourage anybody to call, reach out, ask questions. I'll make time to show you it and, and show you what we're looking at, how we do it, where it's challenging, why it's fun, why it's frustrating, why it keeps you coming back for more, because it's just one of those things. Looking for the perfect golf shot.
0: Yeah. In, in search of that perfect roadbook. No notes missed, no penalties incurred, clean run.
1: Clean run. Yep. When I, when I came in and didn't, and didn't miss a waypoint when I had no tower power. I was so pumped. I was so pumped because I had to figure it out. I had to figure out, okay, I got no instrumentation. How am I going to do this? What did I do? I followed my road book.
0: Yeah. That's all you can do. You know, and and, and, and draw on every bit of nerve <laughs> and trust in yourself. You know yeah it's definitely a challenge and i applaud you i mean that's you know it's awesome I'm, I'm glad you had a good time down there got to see a lot of terrain you know experience a different part of the world see the sights
1: yeah awesome. and i and i am i am i claim the fame of my new spanish i believe is dios la bendiga el cocinero and when i said that the first time is god bless the cook when mm-hmm. i said that the first time My table of our table of our team and our mechanics and our racers, like it's like 25 people. Dude, (laughs) dude, they were all pumped. And then they all said it. And then they all said it in their native languages to our cook. His name was peachy. And it was, uh, it was really, really cool, man. That's awesome. It was really cool.
0: That is awesome. (laughs) Things that, you know, it's, it's the rally life, you know, that's what it is. Yeah. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I posted something with a picture of with really, really I was pumped and they captured the image and I went, This is Rally. So much more than riding a bike. Yeah.
0: We got we just gotta we gotta keep working on getting more people. Get that experience. Yep. So <laughs> we'll get yep. it. We'll get it. Alright. Awesome, sir. Well, I appreciate you taking the time and I appreciate the kind words. You know, we're, we all, we all work together. We're all part of it. And, and if it wasn't for you guys, you know, at the bivouacs, when we're at the events or when I'm at the events and stuff like that, you know, it could get tough. It could get, it gets challenging. You know, some days, you know, you don't need a road book to want to just run off into the sunset. And, uh, and it's, it's guys like you, you know, the Pearsons, everybody, uh, you know, that helps, uh, helps keep the steer, <laughs> helps keep the ship moving in the right direction. So, we appreciate it. I appreciate it immensely.
1: Oh, yeah, man. Better uh, together.
0: Yep. Yes, sir. Excellent. Well, I will let you get those last few tunes in on your road home. And uh and I guess we'll uh we'll probably be running into you here shortly or sooner than later.
1: Okay. I like All that, right. that plan.
0: Excellent. All right, man. Thank you very much and enjoy.
1: Okay, bud. Thanks, Victor. Bye, Thank right, happy.
0: All right. See ya.
1: Okay.
0: Bye. Bye. All right. So there you have it. That is Happy Dave just back from Desafio Ruta 40. Forty. Very interesting, you know? It, it was it's it's been a common theme and we've talked about it. That they are gonna be different like if if you want to travel the world, there's a rally raid somewhere over there. You know, and or somewhere close to it. And you're going to see things that, you know, maybe not the the typical. I'll say it again. You guys have heard the story, and you, and you guys are probably going to say, okay, here he goes again with the Steve Hengeveld thing. But when you got people that ride those areas time and time again and say that I've never been down this road, it's something amazing. So I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Those last uh, Those last 20 minutes, I think, are really going to be a prediction of the future and what we're going to see here in the States. I know I'm helping and trying to work towards that uh become a reality you know we we do we do do things here uh in california in racing i uh, you know i've been in racing not in this particular discipline but i've been in four-wheel racing uh for very long time been to a lot of the races been to a lot of these events and and we do do it here we get it done here in the states it's just a little bit different it's just kind of changing the discipline and hey as they close down more areas and as they close down land and as landowners in certain parts of the country get tired of having guys race through their lands and the accidents and the, this and the that and the other, it just becomes that much more attractive for rally, you know, the navigation based side of it. And Hey, there's room, there is room for spectators. There are things that you can do for spectators. There are that kind of thing. There is that popularity, you know, the social media thing you don't need. All you need is good, good coverage, you know, out in the middle of nowhere and you're going to have a great time. You're going to get to see a lot of different things. And, and help you know, like I said, if you're listening, you guys want to drop us a line. Let's talk. The, a lot of these organizations are always looking for volunteers and, and additional help. These are things that will help you, you know, kind of get into the sport and just get acclimated to it and get to see all of these stories and rub elbows. You know, look, when when when, it, when it's chow time, when it's dinner, you could literally be sitting on the table on the end, you know, Mason's sitting on the other side or Skyler sitting on the other side, Toby price, any of you name it, Ricky Brayback, any of these guys could be literally rubbing elbows with you and, and just talking and you're hearing the conversations and all the stuff that is going on. It is something like no other, you know, and it is a very different setting. Um, A lot of majestic stuff, a lot of stuff that you're not going to get to see a lot of areas. I've bivouacs that I still remember my first time that I was down at Sonora rally Um, you know, staying at one of the, the Indian lands, uh, the tribal lands that are outside of Sonora and headed South, you know, no cell reception, no nothing, primitive buildings, primitive campsites, you know, just this dry lake bed, mini dry lake bed there. And it's just so remote and so quiet and so peaceful that it just, you forget how big society has gotten, you know, and it, and it, and it's really, I mean, really epic Baja rally catavinia going down and staying there for a few days and seeing that area and just being and spending time in that area you know that's one of my favorite areas to visit you know you go over the bridge leaving el rosario and all of a sudden it's it that's it no more cell reception you know you put your phone on airplane mode so it doesn't kill the battery and you can play you know whatever you want you listen to music or whatever but you get into this area where it's you're, you're just disconnected you know I remember riding, you know, riding and doing some rally comp stuff at two in the morning, taking my bike out and making sure that the arrows pointing in the right direction and that we got the stage program correctly and everything is good to go for the next day. You know, just doing the double checks. Absolutely quiet, pitch black road, you know, no moon, just the lights of the bike and just sitting there, you know, with the light on and just letting the bike, you know, idle and then ultimately turning it off and just sitting there and listening, you know, in the middle of nowhere. I was down there for a rally. If this was a Baja race, there'd be 50 people there. There'd be hundred people there. There'd be pit teams everywhere, generators going, all of this noise, all of these things going on, and it just wouldn't be the same. So anyway, with that being said, guys, remember, it'll make sense when you get there. Enjoy the ride. right that is a wrap for the chasing waypoints podcast hope you guys enjoyed the show looking forward to our next one coming up remember if you are out riding do not forget to tag us at chasing waypoints hashtag chasing waypoints and if you haven't already get on over to the website get signed up for the newsletter the Bivouac, north america's rally raid and adventure riding newsletter hey let's have some fun let's find out what you guys up to let's get you featured if you're a brand and looking to get supported get some eyeballs get some ears on your business absolutely hit us up send us a message at podcast at chasing waypoints but anyway that is a wrap remember shiny side up see you guys